Hello and welcome to Talk to Be Well. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon and Chief Clinical Officer of Work to Be Well. Here with me today to talk about panic attacks versus anxiety attacks are three of our fabulous National Student Advisory Council members from Work to Be Well who are coming to us live today from Oregon and Pennsylvania. I'm so excited. I need to get through the uh, basics first, though, as a reminder. The information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Okay, let's get started by having each of you introduce yourself, where you're from, and why does this topic matter to you? Finn, you want to kick us off? Sure thing, Dr. Robin. Um, hello, my name is Finn Jacobson. I am from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a senior in high school. Um, this topic is really important to me just for a myriad of reasons. One, uh, that I am passionate about mental health and destigmatizing those conversations, but also because I personally have suffered both from panic and anxiety attacks throughout my life. So I'm really excited to discuss this and also clarify some misconceptions. Awesome. Hello, my name is Mohammed Shadid, and I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm a junior in high school, and this topic is important to me uh, because I've seen, like, especially in my school, like, it has gotten really competitive, which has caused more people to, uh, which has caused an increase in anxiety among students. And then ever since, like, COVID ended and we're trying to assimilate back into society, it's been, like, there are a lot more situations where anxiety um, and panic attacks is more prominent, and some I've experienced personally as well. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm also from Portland, Oregon, and I'm also a junior. And this topic is important to me because I've also suffered from anxiety and panic attacks, and I also have friends who have suffered from them. So I want to learn more about it and to just advocate more for mental health awareness. Well, then let's just jump right in and get some basic clarification up, up front. What's an anxiety attack? I guess anxiety is more um, in like medical terms. It's more um, appreciated. It's like uh, it's, there's a diagnosis often given with it and it occurs with a trigger, unlike panic attacks, which don't. Um, anxiety attacks are usually associated with triggers. And I feel like in my experience, panic attacks are more unexpected, whereas anxiety attacks are more slow building. Like I can kind of feel when I'm going to have an anxiety attack, but a panic attack, it just can happen at any time. I think that the both of them, though, are versatile in how they present themselves. I think that panic attacks get this association with being this very physical response. Um, and, you know, not being a med medical professional, I don't know actually the amount of accuracy um, that that has. But for me, I felt like what I've interpreted to be a panic attack within myself um, can often be very quiet and still at where we sort of have that conception of that all panic attacks are hyperventilation or um, these really sort of physically active responses. But in my experience, both anxiety and panic attacks have presented themselves in very diverse ways, at least um, when I've had them in the past. Well, and, and y'all are really circling around what are the actual medical differences between anxiety and panic. Uh, panic comes on unexpectedly. Anxiety can often build up over days. Both are characterized with that, you know, racing heart type of a feeling. But Finn, what you're describing in that sense of detachment, that sense of depersonalization, that's a true characteristic in there uh, from a panic attack that differs 
from an anxiety attack. Generally speaking, anxiety attacks don't have that sense of depersonalization and don't have that necessarily sense of, of where you're almost like detached from the world, like a sense of derealization. Also, the other thing about panic attacks is they often come with this fear of, of dying or losing control or something like that. That can also be part of what happens with an anxiety attack. But again, that tends to build up more over time. And the intensity and duration with an anxiety attack can vary. Panic attacks can be very brief, uh, but they can also, you know, trigger and have come from a setup of anxiety attacks that are coming along the way. So you're describing really close to what is the medical terminology used to differentiate between the two. Um, what are some other things that you all see in your experience of anxiety attacks and panic attacks? How do you experience the difference? So as I mentioned before, um, often when I experience, you know, what it sounds like to be actually mostly panic attacks, um, for me, it really is that um, dissociative sort of like quiet feeling where I actually feel like I'm shutting down. Um, often I find, you know, um, that these come on when I experience some sort of trauma reminder or trigger, although um, we covered earlier how anxiety attacks are more characterized by being caused by triggers. Um, so it's interesting to hear sort of um, that that sort of dissociative nature is associated more with panic um, because I feel like that comes up for me often by triggers. So it could be actually that, you know, other things are at play as well. But for me, that's what it's always looked like is I very rarely get to that state of, you know, hyperventilation or almost even outwardly displaying um, the symptoms. It more happens very, very internally. Yeah, and medical terminology isn't like for everyone. Like everyone is a case by case basis in terms of what causes them to have panic attacks versus anxiety attacks. Um, most people like for anxiety attacks, they don't need a trigger or maybe uh, triggers do cause them to have panic attacks. So it's all dependent on the person itself who's facing it. But I know for me personally, like in terms of anxiety attacks, it's like this like um, sinking feeling like in your stomach, your chest, uh, your heart's beating, uh, pain in your chest. Like you can't really avoid it. You, you try to get out of this state, but you can just feel it um, impending and coming closer and closer. I know that every time I've had anxiety attack, it's been something I've kind of been worried about for a long time. And I like try to convince myself it's not gonna make me anxious, it's not gonna make me anxious. And then once I get to that moment, I'm like, oh no, I'm super anxious and I don't know what to do. And then that's when it usually happens. And I usually have more of a physical response, I feel like. Like I usually get like kind of sweaty. I get really like shaky. I can get like pains in my chest. And it's just not fun <laughs> overall. See, and Emily, what you're describing in there really is that kind of a, a characteristic of, of anxiety that builds and builds and builds, and you get the awfulizing going on in your head and all the things that that make anxiety disturb your sleep, make things make you restless, make you anxious, make, make all the things. And then when you get to that actual moment, yes, it can be very physically exhausting. But that's also very true when you're looking in, in panic attacks. Panic attacks can come from a trigger that you don't even necessarily know what it is. And I think that's something that's really interesting about panic attacks. They usually only last a few minutes to probably around, you know, eight to 10 minutes or something like that. But they can be physically exhausting and impact you for the rest of the day. Um, so they're both things that are pretty difficult to deal with. So when you think about triggers, 
What are some of the things that, that you all find triggering? Uh, like Finn said, sometimes traumatic events or reminders of traumatic events in your life or around your family can be major triggers. Also, in like everyday life, something like you've been worrying about excessively um, and you reach that breaking point that can uh, lead to a trigger occurring. Um, and then just in general, like if something major happens in like your everyday life, um, arguments, uh, just problems in relationships in general can also be triggers as well. Do you think that COVID and all of the experiences you all have had over the last two years has impacted your experience of anxiety and or panic attacks? Yeah, I know that when I came back to school this past fall, it was really hard for me. We had like a tour of our new, new school because our city got a new building for our high school. And I came back and it was just a big shock to me because I was new in my freshman year. And now I'm a junior and it was my first time being back with all these people that I was just new to anyways. And so it was really hard for me to like kind of deal with that and cope with that for the first few weeks. I think that the isolation that comes from um, COVID, you know, even after we have, you know, largely um, reduced restrictions and we've come out of quarantine for the most part, I think that there's still a certain isolation in the experience uh, being so unique to each and every one of us. We all have experienced this pandemic in different ways. And so I think for me, that sense of, I think it's been hard to reattach a sense of stability and belonging to life as we come out of the pandemic and as we um, sort of start to adjust to what is going to be permanently changed in our structure and what is going to, you know, maybe re-enter. So examples of like what Emily said about re-entering school, um, I think are a lot of, like a lot of anxiety can come from that. So is there anything that you can do to prevent a panic attack or to prevent an anxiety attack? Is there anything that you can, any skills you've got that you can put in play? I know breathing and meditation works wonders for me whenever I'm like feeling on the verge of a panic attack. I just like try to um, get myself. I also try to remove myself away from the situation that's causing me um, increased anxiety or stress, try to move to somewhere more calm um, and like work on breathing for a little bit and then just trying to clear my mind. And also like, I like to go outside too, to help me relax as well. So as a volunteer at Youthline, which is a teen uh, peer-based crisis line, um, I have taken an immense strategy, both that I advise to contacts and use myself. We call it 54321, but I'm sure it has many names. Um, the basic purpose is to sort of activate each of the five senses in a different way. So I tell contacts often to identify five things that they can see, four things that they can hear, um, three things that they can touch, two things they can smell, one thing they can taste. And what that does, you know, I think that it, it's it's so grounding. Um, and often for me, especially, you know, when I go into an anxiety or panic attack, I start to feel very detached from reality, often that being physical reality. Um, and so I find it very helpful to have those methods which ground me back to reality. Uh, the 54321 graphic can also be found in our resources, uh, the Work To Be Well resources on the curriculum and social media um, and on our Instagram. So that can all be found at worktobewell.org. 
Emily, what do you do when you're feeling like you're really, really anxious? Is there anything that you can do to prevent an anxiety attack that you found that works for you? Um, I haven't been really successful at preventing them, but I know when I'm in one, I try to like at least not like isolate myself, but try to be somewhere alone where I can ground myself, like Finn said, or like listen to music, just something to calm me down for the moment so I can at least get out of that situation and then try to like just be by myself for a little bit. I like that. I like that. What are some other things that strategies that folks use? I know um, my daughter sometimes has anxiety attacks and she likes to take um, a shower or a bath or something like that, which can also be really calming. What are some other things that, that Muhammad, you and Finn have used? Uh, I know I like to like distract myself and I often do that by like watching funny videos on YouTube or other social media platforms just to like I guess numb my brain and help take my mind off whatever was bothering me in the first place too. So yeah, just something to like help make me laugh um, and forget about what I was doing as well. You know, and as hard as it can be, um, because I feel myself to be somebody who tends to self-isolate in these moments, talking to somebody um, has never made, generally, never made my attacks worse. Generally, when I reach out to somebody who I know I can trust and who I know will be there for me and sort of process through some of the thoughts that I can identify. You know, a lot of them I can't identify, which is okay as well. But the ones that I can cling on to and communicate to somebody, often that practice of saying those things out loud um, can help to sort of also, I think, ground your mind and be able to process those feelings in a way that might um, be more <laughs> maybe enjoyable is the word to use. You know, I'm a big fan of cat videos myself. I think that that anytime you're, you've got an opportunity to watch kitten and puppy videos, uh, how can you possibly be anxious watching kitten and puppy videos, right? Those things are, are so awesome. Well, I'm wondering if there are other types of natural re remedies. Finn, you talked about the 54321 and talking about, about scents. And we know that the power of smell can be really, really grounding. Can you talk a little bit more about that and some other natural remedies that might come along in there for anxiety? It's like you designed this question for me, Robin. Um, I love incense. I have a lot of it in my room. Um, and I just love, you know, using it safely, open window, all of that. But I think burning things like lavender incense and maybe jasmine, um, that has been really, really beneficial in not only just like sort of improving my mood, but definitely alleviating some of that anxiety. And if for no other reason, then it just, it smells good and it, and it is calming. Um, and so I think that smell, as you mentioned, is not the only sense that can be activated in that way, but it has definitely been immensely helpful for me as well in mitigating anxiety. Anybody else use anything related to scents? Uh, I know scents can be triggering both in a positive way and a negative way. But I'm wondering in the in the context of especially with anxiety, does anybody else use any of those types of things? I've never used sense before, but I think I'll try it after this. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually uh, use sense, but I know like I've heard of like relaxing teas and remedies as well, which are really mm -hmm. good to drink to to help you in those situations. Oh, that's totally true. Uh, I imagine the caffeine is probably not indicated but chamomile tea can never hurt. Uh, that can be a wonderful, wonderful thing in terms of reducing stress levels. 
Uh, caffeine probably would not be indicated though in this situation. What about other natural remedies you might use? I yeah, know I that whenever I'm anxious, I always like to listen to my favorite musical artist. And their songs are usually about kind of like dealing with anxiety and stuff. So that always helps me. Or touch too. I like to like, I have a blanket that I like that my friend gave me. It's like really soft. And so whenever I'm anxious or sad, I like to like, you know, just wrap myself around that. Or like stuffed animals are always good too. I love that. Who is that oh, artist? You know I think so. Wait, sorry, sorry. You asked who her favorite artist was. <laughs> um, my art, my favorite artist is Cave Town. I don't know if anyone's heard of them, but they're pretty good. Well, and before I interrupt it, I was also gonna add that you know, with music, thinking about music, for me, making it has always um, sort of what I've predominantly used rather than listening. I do enjoy listening to music, but um, there's something so special about being able to represent how you're feeling in music. Um, I play a lot of just different instruments. It's, it's sort of a hobby to see how many I can pick up and figure out. So as somebody who also tends to get a little, a little um, fidgety when I am anxious, something about plucking guitar strings or um, playing some sort of woodwind instrument can really, really do wonders for my anxiety and also create some cool music to represent how I'm feeling. I love music as well. Uh, I think creating your own playlists for certain moods too is uh, works wonders. It's also fun in the process because you can like reflect on some of your favorite songs and it can like um, help you like feel certain ways if you need to in a certain moments. I also said that I love like going outdoors um, and I just, I just like walking outside, getting some sun sunlight instead of being cooped up all day in the winter, which is always hard. Um, and yeah, just moving around, I guess, and trying to hang out with people and socialize too is also good. Does anybody use exercise like running or, or any other type of physical exercise? Yeah, I'm a swimmer, so I enjoy being in the water a lot. So I, I, I generally can get at like a good exercise and by like swimming hard. I guess if I'm mad or if I'm anxious about something, I can expel some of that energy into something uh, useful. You know, there was a joke related to exercise and anxiety that I uh, tell my dad all the time. Um, we go to the gym together a lot. And what I always say to him is, well, you can either give me protein powder or you can give me a B in history that I can't fix. <laughs> and as somebody who really cares about academic uh, stress and gets easily anxious by that, I find that channeling my anxiety into exercise um, is not only a way to improve that anxiety, but I find that almost like being able to channel that into exercise actually almost improves performance. It's sort of a win-win situation in my experience. Nice. Now, I know for some people, they try and try and try different types of remedies, and sometimes they need professional help, and that might include medication. Um, how do you know when medication is necessary? Well, for me, with medication, what I've always told myself is, um, so I, backstory, I was, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder in October of 2021. So very recently, um, you know, um, and what I've always sort of, you know, agreed with on myself is I see a therapist that I trust um, a lot. And um, in combination with advice from my primary care physician and my therapist, I've always sort of um, 
indicated to my therapist that, you know, if it ever felt like to us therapy was ineffective or that the natural remedies and natural strategies were not helping to mitigate that anxiety and it was becoming this chronic issue that I couldn't seem to control, that that is when we'd explore medication. But I think that for me personally, that's always been on the side of like, you know, I, I leave it to the professionals to determine um, when that is appropriate. Well, obviously also supporting the right for somebody to advocate for what they, you know, intuitively feel that they might need. I think that that's just sort of a, a conversation that the professionals are there to have with us. That's a really great point. Mohammed. No, I think uh, I was going to say Finn summed it up perfectly. Uh, leave it up to the professionals. And when you feel like you've tried everything and it, these problems are still like affecting the way you live in a negative way, or um, not allowing you to live your best life, like degrading the quality of your life, then it might be um, time to explore these um, medical treatments with with the support of medical professions such as therapists or your primary physicians as well. You know, I think when we think about medication, I love what you were talking about, um, Finn, in terms of of therapy, there are a lot of different therapeutic interventions. There's cognitive behavioral therapy, there's dialectical behavioral therapy, all of which go out to give you tools, um, much like what you're talking about in the 54321 kit, but also other types of tools to help process and build out other types of like guided meditation and some other types of ways to recognize and understand your triggers long before they hit so that you can actually stop an anxiety attack long before you get there, when you begin to go whack and, and work progressively through triggers to figure out what are things that can be uh, risky situations to put you in a risk situation to become anxious. And how do you develop a strategy, a coping mechanism and a strategy to develop a safe space so that you don't become anxious in that process. And I think that's super important long before we get to a conversation about medication. But that does lead me to wonder, you all, you know, you're all digital natives. I'm sure you've got some online resources that are your favorites. You know, I think that like the internet can be such a magical place for coping with anxiety. I mean, it can also be detrimental, right? It's like, you know, it's like very, very just so diverse and broad in what the internet can offer. Um, for me, you know, one of my favorite things about uh, work to be well as an organization is all of the resources that exist on our website. And, you know, just aside from all of the resources, my favorite thing to do on the work to be well website is the famous banner uh, on the home screen. I think that it is just so ridiculously calming. I mean, it's, it, I don't, I don't know what sort of magic spell work to be well cast over that, that wonderful banner. Um, you know, if you're on a computer, I really encourage you to just go and try it. Just move your mouse around and watch the little particles disconnect and reconnect. And I find that whenever I do that, everything suddenly seems okay. <laughs> so worktobewell.org is definitely where I'd point that. That's awesome. I know that sometimes for me, being online can be like overstimulating if I'm really anxious. Like if I'm on social media, that'll automatically make me more anxious. So I try to avoid websites like that or anything like that. And I try to go again to like what Finn said, resources like the Work To Be Well website or just like Spotify to listen to music or just like one of the things I like to do is just read like articles about random things, like not like major events that are happening, just like maybe little things like a new fossil is found or something, something like that. 
that will just make me a little more happy and distracted from what's happening. Yeah, honestly, the internet has a lot of DIY um, techniques and remedies you can use yourself to try at home um, to, to deal with anxiety too. So I like looking up new stuff, seeing how I can like implement it in like my daily routine to help me calm down as well. So do you think that stigma contributes to to people not talking about their anxiety? I, I feel like it's become a lot more prevalent and people are more comfortable, especially post-COVID. But I wonder, you know, from your perspective, where do you see this um, in terms of, of, of stigmatizing? I think the stigma around anxiety will continue to exist. People will continue to judge those with anxiety and like wonder, like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just get over it? Um, why can't you just be normal? Those that stigma will continue to ex exist um, for the foreseeable future. But I think that since we all went through COVID together, people will begin to become more understanding as we're trying to like um, recover from the effects of COVID and isolationism. Uh, that will have effects on different people in different ways, and people like maybe become more open-minded around those who have anxiety. Uh, but in the meantime, the best we can do is to just educate people about like what people with anxiety go through and encourage them to be uh, respectful of those who go through it and open-minded. I think too, there's something to be said for the power of Gen Z and our generation. Because according to the National Institute of Health, nearly one in three adolescents in their lifetime at some point will experience an anxiety disorder. And what's really interesting is, you know, I am of the opinion, and people have lots of different opinions about this, so, so this is definitely not fact, but I am of the opinion that rates in anxiety and mental illness have not necessarily changed, but rather the stigma has actually changed around them in that especially our generation has been able to more eloquently voice what we're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, which generally leads to that diagnosis. So I think that when we talk about stigma, a lot of pro progress that we don't even already happen. If we were sitting here, you know, maybe 20 years ago today, even a podcast like this would not exist. Um, our parents and the, the parents before them and the generations before them didn't talk about mental health, you know, especially when I come from a family of European immigrants and the stigma around um, that in my family has has been so strong that even for me, yeah, I think that that is something that contributed a lot to my very late diagnosis of my anxiety disorder, even as I remember symptoms all throughout my life. So I think that I wouldn't underestimate the power of adolescence and of Generation Z, because I think that as we become the professionals and as we march forward with this commitment to being open and honest about mental health, I see a lot of optimistic progress in the decades ahead. I would agree with you, Finn. I think I think that your generation is going to be the one that really begins to shift uh, the conversation about mental health. We do have a question from an audience member. Sometimes it feels like anxiety is going to go on forever. What would each of you say to someone who might be experiencing anxiety for the very first time? You know, I often, after experiencing intense episodes of anxiety or these attacks, I often, you know, once I... And I always do usually, right? Come out on the other side of those emotions. I always look back and I almost can't even remember how bad it was because, you know, that I think that that is how anxiety generally tends to work is that it takes over our brain and it makes things seem bigger. But usually what helps me is to imagine just how 
big the world is uh, on this spectrum and understand that this problem that may be making you feel anxious on the grand scheme of things, you know, think of six months to a year from now, you'll barely think about. And so that, that's just an easy thing that I try and tell myself. Um, I know that for me, when I was going through like my first big anxiety attack, I felt so alone and I almost felt like I was crazy. Like I was this crazy person who's going through something, but as I was researching more and as I joined Work To Be Well, I understood that this is something that a lot of people go through and it's not, you're not crazy and that there's resources out there for you and there's people who understand what you're going through. Yeah, I was actually going to say like, you're not alone. Like if, if you experience this, you're not alone in the world. Um, there are many other people who have experienced this. And I would also like recommend like if you do have an anxiety um, attack and you feel comfortable doing so, reach out to a trusted individual and then just let them know that that happened so that they can like comfort you, they can help you out if you need it. Um, they may also have a similar, they may also have had similar problems in the past and they may be able to guide you to like certain techniques or further resources that you can do to help yourself as well. Well, I really wanna thank you all today for coming to talk about panic attack and anxiety attacks and really normalizing the conversation around something that's that's super difficult for a lot of people to talk about, but is so incredibly common, especially as we're coming out of COVID. The rates of anxiety that we're seeing uh, of all types of anxiety, and maybe the next time we can get together, we could talk a little bit about social anxiety and what some of the differences are in terms of, of when people feel anxious in social situations. Maybe that's our part three in this podcast. But I really wanna thank you for joining me on Talk To Be Well and being so open about your own personal stories with panic attacks and anxiety attacks. It's so important for youth to hear from you and to know that they're not alone and that this is perfectly normal. And we can have these types of conversations uh, openly, honestly, with our trusted friends, our family, our counselors, our peers, or even the folks at Youthline. You'll find the resources for Youthline and Teenline on our website at www.worktobewell.org, along with a whole bunch of other great curriculum around anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and some of those resources of how to calm yourself down, mindfulness tools, and other things like that are also there. If you are looking for other types of support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit us at providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, always remember, Check out Work To Be Well at www.worktobewell.org. That's work the number two, bewell.org. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Be well, everybody. <laughs>